This episode probably isn't on a topic that people are going to go out of their way to find, and it's certainly something that I would prefer there was no need to discuss, but one of my goals from the beginning of this project was to cover stories of Arkansas, whether they be good or bad. Today's story, well, not as bad as it has been in the past, is still far from being good. Hang around, because this week I'm going to be talking about malnutrition in Arkansas, its history, its fuel, and its current impact on residents of the natural state. Access to nutritious food in Arkansas has been influenced and often hindered by social, environmental, and political forces, which is something that we can see going back centuries. Remains of Mississippian period American Indians have shown evidence of pellagra and anemia, or iron deficiency. Later, during the colonial period, scurvy, caused by a lack of vitamin C, was common due to a diet based almost entirely on bread, wild game, and coffee. In the 18th and 19th centuries, Arkansas's economy focused almost entirely on cotton growing rather than produce, which meant that many residents, including hundreds of thousands of slaves, were forced to rely on cheap, high-calorie foods like pork and greens. Malnutrition increased during the Civil War and continued to run high in the years that followed. Poor white and black Arkansans remained nutritionally deficient with their diets relying heavily on pork, cornmeal, lard, molasses, and flour. Small gardens allowed sharecroppers and tenant farmers to have some dietary variety with potatoes, collards, turnips, okra, beans, and peas, but it was still far from a well-rounded diet. Studies of skeletal remains from a post-reconstruction black community in Lafayette County revealed high frequencies of scurvy, protein deficiency, rickets resulting from vitamin D deficiency, anemia, skeletal lesions, and bone porosity caused by calcium and vitamin D deficiency. Malnutrition worked in concert with disease and poor sanitation in Arkansas during the 19th and early 20th centuries. Deficiencies in vitamin A, zinc, and iron increased susceptibility to and severity of malaria. In fact, vitamin A deficiency has been demonstrated to increase malaria deaths by around 20%. And in addition to dietary causes, a lack of vitamin A and iron can be caused by hookworm, which was prevalent in Arkansas during this time period. So much so that in 1954, the American Mercury referred to Arkansas as a land of malnutrition, mental debility, hookworm, and hogs. Malnutrition contributed heavily to stereotypes about lazy Southerners, as those who were not properly fed were easily fatigued and unable to do much manual labor. A number of crises in the early 20th century only served to exacerbate the issue of malnutrition in Arkansas. The Great Mississippi River Flood of 1927, the Drought of 1930 and 31, and the Great Depression hit one after another, and the president in power at the time did not rise to the occasion. In fact, under the leadership of Herbert Hoover, the government stayed far more focused on keeping fields planted rather than keeping farmers and their families fed. During the flood, local authorities often withheld food aid from black refugee camps until they agreed to do manual labor that white Arkansans felt was below them. References to outright starvation in Arkansas began to emerge during the 30s, and the action of a crowd of hungry farmers marching on the Red Cross office in England drew national attention to the plight of Arkansans. The government's hand was forced, and especially under the Franklin Roosevelt administration, food aid began arriving in Arkansas. However, this time period was also notable for some scientific research into a specific aspect of malnutrition, 
So let's take a break from our story here for just a bit and take a look into that. Pellagra is a form of malnutrition caused by a severe deficiency of niacin, a form of vitamin B3. Niacin is naturally occurring in a wide variety of food products, including yeast, eggs, fish, green vegetables, and cereal grains like corn and rice. Symptoms of pellagra include lethargy, outbreaks of red splotches on the skin, diarrhea, and in more severe cases, depression, dementia, and death. Being a nutritional deficiency is not contagious and can be reversed. It was first documented by doctors in Spain in the 1730s, but wasn't recognized in the United States until a case was noted in Alabama in 1902. However, studies suggest that it had been occurring long before then in remote areas, perhaps to the tune of tens of thousands of Southerners afflicted by the ailment. Intense poverty and lack of access to medical care allowed the sickness to rage throughout the region for decades. However, means to prevent the ailment had been here even longer. In the pre-Columbian Americas, indigenous peoples prepared corn via a process known as nishtamalization. The process entailed soaking and cooking the corn in an alkaline solution, like lime water, before it was washed and hulled. This process not only made the corn easier to grind, but it also increased the nutritional value of the grain by making the niacin more available for absorption in the body. However, this process was lost in translation between the indigenous peoples and the Europeans, who did not bring nishtamalization across the Atlantic with the corn. Consequently, Italian peasants suffered an outbreak of pellagra in the 1800s. Starting in 1914, Dr. Joseph Goldberger of the U.S. Public Health Service conducted the first field studies of pellagra in the country. Along with 10 volunteers, he began an experiment at the Rankin Farm of the Mississippi State Penitentiary in 1915. A control group of five would eat the standard diet being fed to prisoners, while the other six were fed a restricted diet based on foods common to poor Southerners, including things like salt pork, molasses, and cornmeal. Within six months, the six on the restricted diet began to develop the red lesions indicative of pellagra. While Dr. Goldberger did not determine exactly what was behind the disease, he did determine that it was not contagious, was related to diet, and that poverty was a contributing factor. Unfortunately, most government officials at the time were loath to acknowledge the depth of the problem of hunger and poverty in the South, and took no significant action to remedying pellagra. The situation continued to grow worse in Arkansas. In 1927, 657 people died from pellagra in Arkansas alone. However, just because the government wasn't taking action doesn't mean that no one was. Yeast treatments have began to show promise in beating the ailment. In fact, more than 4,000 cases across the South have been cured by yeast treatments, which caught the attention of the Red Cross. They began their own experiments in the Mark Tree area using powdered yeast to combat pellagra. In 1937, Dr. Conrad Elvaheim at the University of Wisconsin identified niacin as the key to pellagra prevention. It, along with other B vitamins, were quickly added to bread and other products. The Red Cross began distributing vegetable seeds to sharecroppers and tenant farmers. This, combined with campaigns by the USDA and the Arkansas Department of Agriculture, which promoted better nutrition and agricultural diversification, began to put a dent in the cases of pellagra in the state. In fact, by the following year, the number of deaths in Arkansas due to pellagra had dropped to 184 and would continue to fall. 
Efforts ramped up at the beginning of World War II with the federal government mandating vitamin supplementation of cereal products due to frustration with the number of draftees who were too malnourished for military service. In fact, if you look on most loaves of bread in the grocery store, you'll still see niacin listed as an ingredient. I just went into my kitchen to have a look, and both of my cereal boxes, my cake flour, my cornmeal mix, my pancake mix, and my grits, all listed niacin as an ingredient. Now, before we go back to the main storyline, I would like to address another strange footnote in the story of malnutrition in Arkansas. Yes. Uh, hello? Yes, this is Julia Sugarbaker. It's Jackson Week's office. Hello? Oh, you're the secretary. Well, actually, I was calling regarding an article he wrote about Southerners eating dirt, but if Mr. Weeks is too busy to return my call... Yes, you can give him a message. You do take shorthand, don't you? Good. We take it in the South, too. Anyway, just tell him that I've been a Southerner all my life, and I can vouch for the fact that we do eat a lot of things down here. And we've certainly all had our share of grits. And I'm sure that there are no self-respecting Southerners anywhere who haven't consumed at least several tons of their mama's homemade biscuits and gravy. And I myself have probably eaten enough fried chicken to feed a third world country, not to mention barbecue, cornbread, watermelon, fried pies, okra, and yes, if I were being perfectly candid, I would have to admit we have also eaten our share of crow and for all I know, during the darkest, leanest years of the Civil War, some of us may have had a Yankee or two for breakfast. But <laughs> speaking for myself and hundreds of thousands of my Southern ancestors who have evolved through the many decades of poverty, strife, and turmoil, I would like for Mr. Weeks to know that we have surely eaten many things in the past. And we will surely eat many things in the future, but... God, as my witness, we have never, I repeat, never eaten dirt. Unfortunately for Julia Sugarbaker and, honestly, humanity in general, eating dirt is very much a thing and is commonly associated with the South for, well, I mean... The practice of eating dirt or clay is called geophagy. And it's a form of the disorder pica, which is an appetite for substances that are non-nutritive, often things that aren't food at all. Pica is considered a psychological disorder, but it may have some basis in nutritional deficiency. Some who make this argument point out that soil or clay may afford nutrients and minerals that may otherwise be absent from the diet, including iron, calcium, and potassium. In the 1800s, geophagy was especially common amongst slaves, and later it remained more common with impoverished people and especially pregnant women. It may seem like a harmless, albeit gross, habit, but there are some definite dangers associated with geophagy. Dirt is, well, dirty. Consumption of soil can lead to parasites, lead poisoning, and harmful zinc exposure. In 1880, the cause of death for a seven-year-old girl in Drew County was simply recorded as eating dirt. Uh, but now I suppose we should go back to the main focus of the episode. The latter half of the 20th century, by contrast with the first half, saw increased government engagement in hunger and nutrition programs. The Arkansas Board of Health created educational programs and efforts that reached out to folks across the state. The Women, Infants, and Children Special Supplemental Nutrition Program, better known as WIC, 
began serving Arkansas in 1972, initially only serving 14 counties in the Delta before expanding statewide in 79. Studies in the 90s found that Delta residents fared far worse nutritionally than the average American. Adults in the Delta had lower intake of protein, riboflavin, niacin, vitamin B6, vitamin B12, calcium, magnesium, iron, potassium, vitamin A, carotene, and vitamin C. In fact, fewer than 20% of Delta adults met recommended levels of calcium intake. At the dawn of the 21st century, around 10% of Arkansas children over 5 were anemic. 6% were underweight, and 7% were of short stature. Attention began being drawn to the problem of food deserts, areas with no large supermarket within 10 miles. With limited access to fresh produce, residents of food deserts are at a heightened risk of inadequate nutrient intake. Nearly two-thirds of Delta counties are food deserts, and every county in Arkansas includes at least one food desert. In fact, I'm recording this in the food desert where I currently live. The nearest grocery store to where I live was right at 11 miles away. Until July 29th, when that store closed, my nearest grocery store became 14 miles away. And I'm lucky. If I lived in the town where my old grocery store closed, I would suddenly go from having a grocery store in my town to having the closest grocery store be about 21 miles away. All of this is to say that the food desert problem in the Delta is continuing to get worse as time moves on. Now we're going to get a little confusing. At the same time as all this malnutrition was being noticed in Arkansas, it was also documented that nearly 38% of Arkansas children and adolescents were overweight or obese. This may seem to be in direct conflict with the rates of malnutrition because we tend to think of overweight people as someone with an abundance of food. Therein lies the so-called obesity paradox. Reliance on high-calorie processed foods and less fresh produce leads to people becoming overweight while still malnourished. The primary uh, component of their diet, instead of having nutrients, is empty calories. Counties considered food deserts often rank highest in obesity rates. That's in part due to the fact that it's harder for residents of food deserts to travel 10 or more miles to reach a store that sells fresh produce and other ingredients especially when you take into consideration that many people in these counties are also well below the poverty line uh, and may not have access to transportation. And in many of these areas, discount stores and convenience stores are coming in to serve the desperate customer base. However, unlike grocery stores, these types of stores typically sell food that is less nutritionally beneficial and more focused on shelf stability and ease of preparation. Combine the convenience and lower price with a lack of education about nutrition, and you can easily understand how folks might not even realize how bad of a choice they're making when they buy these foods. Or worse still, might not have a choice in the matter at all. Don't get me wrong, I love the DG, but unless they start making a big push to bring in more fresh produce, dairy, and grocery items, they really aren't helping the food desert situation at all. In 2009, Arkansas ranked number one in the nation in childhood hunger. Concern over this led to significant efforts to improve that situation. Access to federal nutrition programs like Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, and free and reduced school lunches were improved and made easier. Governor Mike Beebe, the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance, and Share Our Strength 
launched the Arkansas No Kid Hungry campaign. Through these efforts, the number of children dealing with food insecurity has declined more than 19% over the past decade. However, we remain fourth in the nation in childhood hunger. Today, roughly one in five Arkansas children face hunger. The situation is similar on the other end of the spectrum. In 2014, the state ranked number one in the nation for seniors facing the threat of hunger. Efforts have managed to bring us down to 10th, but it's still a significant problem. Around 18% of Arkansans 60 and older are either food insecure or facing the threat of becoming so, which is thankfully down from almost 25% in 2014. Seniors in rural areas are at higher risk than those in metropolitan areas. This is especially due to the fact that many seniors no longer have the ability to transport themselves to distant grocery stores or may have other mobility problems. The rate of food insecurity is substantially higher for black seniors than their white counterparts. Those between the ages of 60 and 69 are at a higher risk than those 70 and older. And surprisingly, those at and above the poverty line are at greater threat of food insecurity than those below the poverty line. This is primarily due to those above the poverty line not qualifying for government programs like SNAP and energy bill assistance, but still likely living on a fixed income. There are many organizations in Arkansas dedicated to helping those facing food insecurity, including the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance and the Arkansas Food Bank, which works with hundreds of local food banks across the state. These organizations are easily found online and offer information on how you can get assistance or, if you are able, how to donate or volunteer to help out. This is Mapstro. Thank you for listening.